Today on Standing on the Word. Whatever's after that word, if, because he said you're, you are a part of Christ, if. You are a true Christian, if. So who is really saved? Are you really saved? All you have to do is look after if. And the answer is if you hold fast, which means you never let go firm. You get this? If your attention is on Christ. Firm. I love that. I'm running out of time. A firm hold is like a firm look that my focus is on. A tentative two that I never take my focus off of Christ. You're listening to Standing in the Gap, standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins with his second warning from the book of Hebrews. And now from his sermon titled, The Danger of Unbelief, here's Josh. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. And today we're going to continue in a little series that I'm preaching. I know we usually go verse-by-verse verse through a book, but I thought I'd give you guys a little bit of a break. Uh, for the next five weeks, and we jumped into the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has a series of warning passages that we see throughout as it'll run all the way through starting in chapter 2, run all the way through chapter 10, and it's just kind of warning signs that find them way, their way all the way through the book of Hebrews. And these warnings, as we look at warning number two today, they're in this book to sound an alarm. It's like a siren that would go off, maybe even if, uh, uh, as you're getting ready to cross a railroad track and you see those warning signs flashing, you know that a train is about to come, so you need to pay attention. You need to, to know that it's getting ready to cross and you're not going to be able to go across the, the railroad tracks. You need, to, you, you need to be very careful is what that warning sign is. You need to watch your step. So that's what we're going to look at today, and, and, and it's a warning sign for our, not for our cars, but for our soul, for our heart. And this is a warning sign that's going to be flashing in front of every one of your eyes today. We're going to do warnings for five straight weeks, and we want, to, we want that right in front of your face to, get, to give you uh, a warning, to get your attention, to, to get your focus, and demand from each one of us a response. A warning sign demands that we respond, that we do something when we see it. If you were to see a warning sign as you're getting ready to cross a railroad track and you saw it and you said, wow, there's a warning sign, I'm going to keep going, it would be a bad idea. And if you hear these warning signs as we go through this book, and we're going to do it again for five straight weeks, and you do not heed these warnings, it is very dangerous, not for you physically, but for you spiritually, for your heart and for your soul. So all of us, me included, need to hear these warnings and heed them. Respond to them. And today we're going to look at the danger of unbelief. The warning, the sign in front of you is don't fall into unbelief. So let's stand together. I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. This is the longest of the warnings in the book of Hebrews, and I would say the most serious. This is a very serious, somber warning today. That we all It's a warning for all of us. Everyone around this room, from the youngest of the kids, to the oldest of the adults. Everyone in here needs to hear this warning. Starting in verse 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. 
So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But I exhort one another, but exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So while it is said today, you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is a warning to all of us of the danger of falling into unbelief. So let's pray and we'll study this passage. Father, we bow before you this morning and under the authority of your word. We all stand to honor your word and then we will all sit to hear your word. And I pray that we would receive it, that our hearts would be receptive, that our minds would be attentive, and that we would heed this warning. Not only hear it, but heed it. It does us no good to see a warning or to hear a warning if we do not obey the warning. So God, from the bottom of my heart, I, I beg of you, please let us all hear this warning and let us all heed this warning today. Help me, please, to present these truths with conviction and with power and with clarity. Help us here today as we embark upon what really is the most important hour of the week as we hear from your word together. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know that we make a lot of comparisons in life. That's what this passage, the whole book of Hebrews is a comparison. And we make a lot of comparisons in life. We, we always, and I think that everyone in here knows what a comparison is. I don't have to explain that to you. But we, we make comparisons where we set two things up beside each other. And then we compare and we contrast. And we look at them over and over and we say, this one has this and this one has that. And then you make a choice as to which one you're going to, which one you want. We do that. I, I did that this week with Halloween candy. I love that my kids went uh, trick-or-treating around the neighborhood, and they all brought back to their dad a bucket full of candy. And I always look at them, and I say, let's see what you got tonight. And then I sit there, and I wade my way through candy. And I'll sit there, and I'll say, well, there's a Kit Kat, and there's a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. And I compare, and I contrast. And I want to say, well, this one has this, and this one has that. And I end up usually eating both of them. But still, you, you compare those two things. We compare a lot of things, not just Halloween candy. I, I think we also compare, I do, coffee. I'll say, well, here's McDonald's coffee, and here's... Starbucks coffee and, and McDonald's is 99 cents and Starbucks is like $4.99 and, and you're sitting there and you're and it's both coffee and you're comparing it and you're seeing which one is better and then you choose one and you go with it and you buy and you drink it. We do that with churches. You do you probably have done that before where you go into a church and you say this one has great music and this one has, has great children's programs but this one has the greatest pastor in the world, you know. <laughs> I'm not talking about this one. I'm just saying, just you, you make a comparison. You look and say, here's what I'm looking for in a church. Do I want this or do I want that? And then I'm going to make my choice and, and, and I'm going to uh, go with that choice. Whatever I want, I'm going to go with. So we make comparisons in life. 
I mean, you, you make comparisons with everything, with cars, with clothes, with, with TV shows. I mean, whatever you, with spouses, you know, you say, who do I want to marry? This one's pretty, this one's smart. Maybe if I hold out, I'll find one that's pretty and smart. You know, you, you sit there and you make comparisons in life. You do that all the time. And that's what the book of Hebrews is for us, is it's a comparison. It's a comparison that you make today. It's a comparison you'll make tomorrow. It's a comparison of, and I want to show you this, just as a way of introduction, is these people in Hebrews had a choice to make. And they had a choice between two things. See, they, these people, the audience of the book of Hebrews, they had been converted from the Jewish faith, and, and they converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now things had gotten hard on them. It wasn't easy like they, like they thought it would be. There was great persecution. There was great temptation. And they were tempted to go uh, to convert back, to go from, they had gone from being a Jew to being a Christian, and now things were hard in Christianity. So they thought, you know what? I'll turn my back on Jesus and go back to being a Jew, back to the way I used to be. So they had a comparison to make. Do I want to go into the Jewish faith again, or do I want to keep following the Lord Jesus Christ? So they set this comparison up. The whole book of Hebrews is a comparison, putting two things side by side and comparing, do I want to follow Christ, or do I want to go back? I love the book of Hebrews because it makes it abundantly clear. It's like a commercial for Jesus. The whole book is. It's like the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. It's just like he goes every single chapter, and every chapter he's saying the same thing over and over and over. He's saying Jesus is superior to not only the Jewish faith, but to everything and everybody in the world. There is nothing that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. So why would you go back? I love that. Jesus, he says this, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Abraham. And you can put anything you want over here, and Jesus will always be greater. And he just ransacks the universe, all of Judaism, and he says, Jesus is greater. He's far superior. It's not even a competition. It's not like you can sit there and weigh it out and Jesus is just a little bit better. He is far superior to, to anything in the, in, in the world. There's nothing greater than Jesus. And get this, sometimes we make comparisons. I love what the, what the book of Hebrews does here. Sometimes we'll make comparisons and like when I meet the Halloween candy and I'll say, okay, I made my mind. I want the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup and not the Kit Kat. And I'll be eating the, the Reese's peanut butter cup, and then I'll be digging with this end. <laughs> I might find something better. Then I'll find me a Twix down there, and I'll think, oh, wow. <laughs> I think I'll put this aside, and I've got two in one now, you know. i got the left and the right Twix. I can eat that now. I found me something better. Well, the book of Hebrews will say not only is Jesus greater now and far superior now, but you will never come across anyone or anything that will ever be greater than Jesus. There's nothing in your life right now or ever that will ever compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you should choose ahead of him. There's nothing you should turn your back on him to choose something else. Jesus is far superior. He is, and at the end of the book of Hebrews, he says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will never change. He will always be the superior thing in the world. And because of that, here's the caution. He says, you need to believe in Jesus. That's the whole book. You not only need to believe in Jesus, it's clear. <laughs> believe in Christ. 
Put your faith in him. Follow him. Love him. He's greater. There's nothing, there's nothing you should live for other than Jesus. I mean, if you're if you're living for anything else, it's it's inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is superior. He is the greatest. He is he is most superior. He's out of this world. So believe in him, follow him, love him. And if you get into a trial or a temptation or trouble, don't give up on him. Don't turn your back on him. Keep believing in him. That's to all of us here today. If you're lost, believe in him. If you're if you're having a hard time and you're tempted to go back to your old way of life, don't keep believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can turn your back on him and go back to that's better than he is. And there's a warning. Because he's going to say that, believe in him, believe in him, believe in him. Not only believe in him, but keep believing in him. I'm telling you all that today. Christians, keep believing in Jesus. Never let your faith waver. Because if it does, there's a warning. If you start being tempted to turn around and to go back, and to go back to an old way of life, or an old religion, or the old things you used to do, there's a warning here of falling into, I believe, and falling back into unbelief. And the warning is, it's, it's, if, you, if you go back, it's dangerous. Don't fall into unbelief. Don't go back. The word here would be don't depart. Don't leave Jesus for something else. Because nothing else is better than Jesus. There's danger here. Don't go back. So that's the danger of unbelief. It's a very serious warning. If you refuse... If you return to your old way of life, it's very dangerous for you. If you turn your back on Jesus, it's very dangerous for you. So let's look at it. I'm going to give you three points just as a way of something to hang your hats on as we go through this. Uh, it's headings for you to look at. I want to start with number one, with the example of unbelief. I want to help you to, to stay focused on Jesus today. That's what I want from you today. I want you to stay focused. Now, it, it, again, I want you to believe in Him. I want you to keep believing. Never stop believing in Jesus. Don't fall into unbelief. Number one, the example of unbelief. Verses 7 through 11 is an example to us of what unbelief looks like. I want you to see that. It's, it's an example to us. First, it's a, it's a, a biblical example. Look at verse 7. You see that word, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today if you'll hear his voice. I'm going to stop there. We stopped there last week with that word, wherefore, is there for a reason. He puts that there. It's, 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 a, it's a word that says, if you're, if you're studying your Bible at home, and you see the word wherefore or therefore, you're going to say, he wants me, the author wants me to stop and pay attention and listen to something. He's getting ready to give me a command. He's getting ready to tell me what to do based on what he just taught me. So he says, wherefore, this is talking to me. This is pay attention. This is like me preaching here today. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm just teaching through this, the passage of scripture. And I take my finger and I say, wherefore, and I point at you. Everybody needs to look up and say, now he's talking to me. That's what that wherefore is. And then he goes into a, a quote. Again, verses 7 through 11 is a quote from Psalm 95. And I love this. It's, it's a subtle statement, and, and it's, it's not the main point of the passage, but I, I couldn't not bring this out to you. Watch what he says. Wherefore, and again, this is Psalm 95. As the Holy Ghost saith. You know who wrote Psalm 95? David wrote Psalm 95. But here, the author of Hebrews gives the authorship of, the, of this psalm to the Holy Spirit. He gives it to God. 
He's saying here that the Holy Spirit is speaking. David wrote it, but the Holy Spirit is speaking. So when Scripture speaks, grab this, this is important. We all need to hear this. Our kids here, they need to hear this. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. When Scripture speaks, you need to write that down because the world doesn't believe that. They think it's a book by a man for a man, but this is a book by God for a man. This is a book written, inspired by. Uh, it's inerrant. It's infallible. It's, it has authority. This book, when God speaks, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. There is a God, and He's not silent, and He speaks through His Word. Loud and clear. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And here he gives an example to us, and it's sad, tragic, catastrophic. You all know this story. It's a story of Israel being rescued from the hands of Pharaoh in the Exodus. You guys know the rescue is one of the most dramatic, miraculous, powerful scenes in, in all of the Old Testament. It's the pivotal scene in all of the Old Testament. You guys know that the the nation of Israel, God's people, was in slavery and bondage under the hands of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And they were millions of them, and they were forced to, to, to build and to work and to, and to do things that were un, unimaginable. And, and God said, came to Moses, his deliverer, and said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I know their sorrows. And now I've come down, and I'm going to save my people out of the hands of the Pharaoh, and I'm going to take them into the promised land, the nation of Israel. I'm going to take them there because that's the land that I have given them. And he does. And it's, it's, it's powerful that God takes him away from the most powerful man in the world and he delivers him through ten plagues, through the, through the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, that's just dramatic. We overlook that. But can you imagine the, the Red Sea being parted? And, and Moses stands up with a staff and the, and the Red Sea just opens up and millions of God's people get to walk on dry land all the way through. And then when they get through and Pharaoh's army, the most powerful army in the history of the world, comes barreling down after them on dry land, the waters crash and destroys Pharaoh's army. It's a miraculous, dramatic rescue of God's people. I mean, there's nothing else like this. We've never seen a rescue like that. That's what he's talking about in this passage. So they got out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness, it says here, watch, wherefore, see, see in verse 7, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like in the provocation, that's the rebellion. In the day of temptation in the, see that there, in the wilderness. Because when they got through the waters to the other side, they spent time in the wilderness. God took care of them, he gave them water, he gave them food, he gave them shoes, he gave them light, he gave them a leader in Moses. They saw his works for 40 years. And then in the midst, it says that when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works, verse 9, for 40 years. God saved them miraculously. God saved them unlike anything we've ever seen. And they got to the other side. And God proved them and showed them how great he was and what he was going to do for them. And there came a point of testing where they were having a trial, they were having a hard time. It was a difficulty, and then they got thirsty. It's this it, it's old passage in, in Exodus. They got thirsty, and they all started complaining. And they looked at Moses, and they said, get this, we want to go back. 
We've been rescued. We, we followed God. We followed God's leader in Moses. We went the way that, that they wanted us to go. But now it's gotten hard and, and, we're, and we're thirsty. And it's a, it's a trial. It's a temptation. It's a struggle. I don't know if I can make it anymore. You're going to let us die in the wilderness. So what I want to do is, is we all want to go back to where we came from. We want to go back into slavery. Back into bondage. Back under Pharaoh. We don't want to be under God anymore. We want to be under Pharaoh who had whips and was whipping us and killing us and destroying us, we'd rather go back. It's a bad choice, ain't it? God's taking care of you. He's giving you water and manna from heaven. They wake up in the morning and there's bread on the ground. Water from a rock. Shoes that never wear out. God is giving them a light to follow in the night and a cloud by day. God is doing great. But here in this one little trial, they decide I'd rather go back. It's called the test. Stay in the wilderness or go back. Believe or stop believing. And they made their choice. This passage is an example of their rebellion. It says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That's the rebellion. That in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years, that I was grieved with that generation. And said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. They rebelled and wanted to go back. And the result was catastrophic. They started gloriously, and they end catastrophically. They walk around the wilderness for 40 years. They die there. Millions left Egypt. But only two, Joshua and Caleb, get to go to the promised land. It's not a catastrophe. Tragic. They turned their back on God. They started so gloriously, and they ended so tragically. And this here is set before us as an example of pride. Get this, and we'll move on to the next point because I I want you to get this, but it's gonna it's gonna hit you in just a second because that's our example. That's what we're to look at here in this passage. He's saying, see this example. This is what made God angry. This is they they died in the wilderness because of this. They never expected that when they walked out of uh, Pharaoh's Egypt that they they probably never thought, you know what? I bet I turn back. Want to come back? And you're sitting there today saying, I, I bet you I'll never turn my back on God. They never thought so either. They probably sit there and said, not me, I won't do it. I bet somebody else might do it. Maybe, maybe one of you, but not me. I would never turn my back on God. But they did. They left Egypt physically, but their hearts never left. They were never changed. Verse 10 says they erred in their heart. They did not know God's ways. And he swore in his wrath that they shall not enter into his rest. They didn't enter into the land of promise. This made God angry. They forfeited God's blessings. They made the wrong choice. They died in the wilderness. And now a whole bunch of dead bodies in a wilderness cry out to us as an example. There's bones in the wilderness that cry out to us, don't do what we did. This is an example to us, screaming to us, don't turn your back on God. Don't go away. 
Don't fall away. Don't depart. Don't leave. This is an example to us. Don't do what Israel did. If Israel could talk to us, those people in that time could talk to us now and come up here and say, don't leave God. Don't turn your back on God. There's nothing in the world worth turning your back on God. Their bones scream out, don't do what we did. It's an example to us. Now watch what he gives us. That's the example of unbelief. And then he gives them the examination of unbelief. And we've got to see this. This is where we get to you. Because look what he says in verse 12. So take heed, brethren. Again, we saw the example of unbelief. Now we're to examine unbelief. He says, take heed, brethren. This is a caution. That word take heed is beware. I was walking, knocking on doors one day. Learned my lesson well. When you see beware of dog, son, you beware of dog. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was nice, but I, I was going knocking on the door. Somebody told me, go knock on this person's door. They need to hear the gospel. Invite them to church. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I saw on their fence, beware of dog. Big sign there. And I thought, you know, it couldn't be too bad. So I open up their fence. I step inside the fence. There comes the beware of dog dog. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's biting at me, you know, before it even gets to me. And I've never run so fast and jumped so high in my life. And I, I, I got over that fence and I said, God, if you want them to be saved, it's going to have to be through somebody else. <laughs> I'll call them. I'll text them. But I'm not, I'm bewaring of dog. And now when I go visiting and I see beware of dog, I beware of dog. Because that's what this said. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I don't know why. <laughs> But that's what that word take heed means in verse 12. Beware. I mean, that's, that's what it means in the Greek. Beware, brethren. Pay attention, brethren. Proceed with caution, brethren. Watch out, brethren. Be on the lookout, brethren. Look over your shoulder, brethren. This is all a warning to you, brethren. Don't you do what they did. Keep your eyes open, brethren. And I love that, brethren, because he's talking not to lost people. He's talking to all people, to brothers and sisters. It's all of us. Watch out. No one is exempt from this temptation. Exodus teaches us that this is a real danger for all of us. All of us are prone to wonder and to leave the God we love. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. All of us are like this. All of us are apt to say, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus. It gets hard. I'm going back where it's easy. Where I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus. And then we have teenagers, I'm following, I'm following, I'll get baptized, I'll go to church, my parents want me to. Then I go to college and everything's so wonderful and great and, and that's what I'll do now. All of us are tempted to turn our back on Christ. He says, take heed, brethren. This is to all of you. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Take heed for what? Here's what you have to watch out for. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, any of you, you see that? An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Watch out, brethren, for an evil heart. He said it early on in the Exodus that it was all about their heart. Now he says it to us. We all need to guard our hearts. We all need to beware of our hearts. This is where unbelief starts. This is where departing and turning your back on Christ starts. 
It's all in the heart. That's why we need to examine our hearts. Jesus understood that. Matthew 15, 9, he said, for out of the heart proceeds. It's all a matter of the, of the heart. The, the, heart is the, the heart of the matter is the heart. The problem is, is in our hearts. We examine our hearts. We check our hearts. And he says, check your, yourselves. So he's, he's wanting us to look at, at ourselves. If any of you, that's, that's all of us, it's personal. Each of us here need to check our hearts for unbelief. I want you to do that today. That's the warning. Check your heart for unbelief. The heart is who we really are. When nobody else is around, it's our heart. So we all here today, and I know we don't like checkups. We don't like to be examined. Here is the ultimate examination of our heart. So what do we check for? Let me just give you three things, okay? Three things to check for in your heart. I want each of you to check it. Write these down and check yourself for it. Number one, you're checking for an evil heart. Check and see if you have an evil heart. Okay? You say, where do you get that at? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. <laughs> it's just, you know, couldn't be more clear. Check yourself for an evil. That word evil means depraved. It means wicked. It means lost. It means unchanged heart. There's a lot of people that walk around acting like a Christian, but their heart has never been changed. So you need to make sure that you don't have a wicked, unbelieving heart. That deep down, you may have a facade that you put on, but deep down in the reality of who you are, you've never been changed. Your heart is still evil. Check it. Jesus said, again, Matthew 15, 19. Check your heart. What's this? But these things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart so the first way you check and see if you have an evil heart is by what what you say for what we say comes from the heart you can tell a lot about a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth if your heart if your mouth is evil then most likely the source is evil. Watch this. This is Jesus talking. Again, that these things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds. And then he goes on a list of things that you need to check and see if, you, if your heart's evil. Evil. Started with evil mouth. Then he goes into evil thoughts. Then he goes into murderers. And he goes into adulteries. And then he says fornication. And then he says theft. And then he says false witnessing. Lying. And then he says blasphemy. He gives a list of things that you can check and see if your heart is evil or if it's been saved and changed. So you need to check yourself and see if you have an evil heart. Number two. Check for an evil heart. Number two, check for a deceived heart. You see there in verse 13, it says, But exhort one another daily, why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't have a duped heart. Don't have a tricked heart, a heart that lies to you. And it, it could be a heart that lies to other people. It's like, again, going back to Halloween, that you put on an outfit and you go and you say, well, who are you today? Who are you supposed to be? And, you, and my little girl says, oh, I'm a princess, you know. And your boys say, I'm an army man. And they got a masquerade on. They got a mask on. They got a hypocrisy. They're, they're play acting. 
They're acting like something they're not. My boy is not an army man. My girl, she's a, she's a, she is a princess. But she's not an official Disney princess. That's who she's play acting to be. And if you have a deceived heart, you are play acting. You're putting on a, a, a fake facade in front of people and your heart has not been changed. It's still deceitful. It's still lying. It's still no good. You better be careful that your heart is not lying to people. That you tell others with what you do that I'm okay, but the whole time deep down, you're not. On the outside, you say Christian. On the inside, you say not. Your heart not only can deceive other people, your heart can even deceive yourself. Your heart can tell you, you're okay. Keep on sinning. Keep on living like you are. You're okay. Your heart can be lying to you. Check it. You want another one? Check for an evil heart. I say this heart checkup is more important than the actual doctor checking your heart. Your physical heart can fail you and you'll die. But if your spiritual heart's wrong, you'll go to hell. So check for an evil heart. Check for a deceived heart. I'll give you another one. Check for a hardened heart. You see verse 15? While it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. That's a defiant, rebellious heart. A heart that says, and there's some hearts like that probably in this church. A heart that says, I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I don't care what God says. I do what I want to do. That's a hardened heart. That's a rebellious heart. That's what they, it says, like the day of rebellion in, in the Exodus, when they said, I, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to follow Him. I don't want to be in the wilderness no more. I would rather, I hear what God says. I've, I've heard His commands. I've heard the law that He's given us from Mount Sinai. I get it, but I would rather do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. That's a rebellious heart. And there's some in here today that you'll leave here and you'll say, I heard what He said, but I would rather do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. Don't do that. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Listen to him. Do what he says. You hear him, but you refuse. You fight against the truth. You fight against scripture. You refuse the word of God. It's a hardened heart. So check yourselves for an evil heart, for a deceitful heart, for a hardened heart. And why do we check that? Because with the heart is where unbelief comes from. Unbelief just doesn't pop up. Unbelief comes from the source of our hearts. Watch what happens. He says, if you check your heart, watch verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that leads to departing from the living God. Do you see that? If you'll check your heart, it'll keep you from departing from the living God. It'll keep you, and that word depart is to stand off. Stand off. God's over here. I'm going to go over there. 
That word depart is to turn your back on. God's over here, and I'm going to turn my back on God. That word depart in the Greek is to apostatize. Check your heart so you don't apostatize. Check your heart so you don't turn your back on God. Departing from God. That's the concern of this passage. The author of Hebrews has this concern. That's why he gave us this example. Here's the order of how it worked. It was the heart of Israel that led them to depart. You see it? Starts with the heart, becomes unbelief, and turns into departing. It's the heart of the Hebrews here that if you'll check your heart, you won't depart. I like that. You like that saying there? I come up with that last night about midnight. If you check your heart, <laughs> I would write that down, tweet it, Facebook it. That, that's, if you check your heart, you won't depart. I, I should have been a politician, right? I, I just got slogans. Guard your heart, check your heart. It starts in the heart. That's the concern of the, of the Hebrews. He's not concerned about your actions. He's not concerned about your church attendance. He's, he's not concerned about what you're doing. He's concerned about your heart. Check your heart. And if your heart is right, you won't depart. But if your heart is wrong, you will depart from the living God. So check your heart. That's where it starts. If our heart, if our heart is wrong, we will have unbelief and we will depart. But if our heart is right, we won't, we won't have unbelief and we won't depart. Check your heart. It's an internal matter, not an external. And it's just likely to be you as any of these people. So check your heart. That's the examination of unbelief. We check our hearts. Take heed, brethren. So I'll turn that around on you. How's your heart? Kids, how's your heart? Teenagers, how's your heart? Adults, how's your heart? Check for evil. Check for deceit. Check it. Is it hard? When you hear preaching and it tells you to do something, are you more apt to say, relent and say, okay, I'll do it? Or are you more apt to rebel and say, no! When you hear a teaching that says, this is what God's Word says, are you more apt to say, I believe it? Or no, I don't believe that! Check your heart. So what do we do? I'll close with this. We saw the example of unbelief in Israel. Don't do what they did. <laughs> The examination of unbelief. And if you don't want to do what they did, you better check your heart. Because even if you go back to the example, I want you to see this, just so you'll see how it works out. Look at verse 10. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their... Anybody paying attention? In their hearts. There's a heart problem for them, and if we don't check our hearts, it'll be a heart problem for us. And the last point, we saw the example of unbelief, we saw the examination of unbelief, and the last thing we'll see is the exhortation of unbelief. You say, where in the world did you get that word exhortation at? Why is it just that you had to have those? Elect? No, no, look, verse 13, but exhort. I got it straight out of the text. Exhort one another. You see that? It's an exhortation of unbelief. It's a command. It's a lesson. Here's what you need to do now. It's a command to you. He's telling us, here's what we are to do now. And I love this. Here's the command. Here's the exhortation. Verse 13, we exhort one another. 
I love that. He's exhorting us to be faithful. He's exhorting us as a community that we are to, this is just to, to exhort one another is to come alongside each other and to speak to one another and to be there for one another. It's basically him saying, go to church and be encouraged in your faith. Go to church and have somebody cheer you along in the faith. Go to church and have somebody to speak to you in your life that you can't live this by yourself, that you're more apt to turn away from God alone than you are if you have a church full of people with you. Exhort one another. Every Sunday when you come in here, there should be an exhortation from your preacher saying, keep following Jesus. I know it's hard out there. I know you might have got a, a bad doctor's appointment this week. The test results may have been very bad, but don't stop following Jesus. There could be, a, a, as you come in here today, there could be, oh, my money is bad. It's running out. I don't know how I'll get milk tomorrow. And the pastor stands up and says, don't stop following Jesus. Your fridge may be empty, but there's nothing worth going back to. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You may come in here next Sunday and say, we lost the election. <laughs> the nation is going in the wrong direction. What are we going to do? Keep following Jesus. <laughs> That's the exhortation every Sunday. If you go to a church that's not exhorting you to keep following Jesus, you're going to a wrong church. You might need to compare. This church here makes me feel good. This church here tells me to keep following Jesus. Go to that church. If, I ever, if it ever becomes a me where I quit telling you that, you need to sit me down and get somebody else. What we do here is help you keep following Jesus. My kids have rebelled. I don't know what I'm going to do. Keep following Jesus. My marriage is struggling. What am I going to do? Keep following Jesus. The answer is the same. All the way through the book of Hebrews, his advice to them, they're like, we're going to be persecuted and die tomorrow. What do we do? He doesn't pet their ego and give them a lullaby. <laughs> you know, he looks at them and says, keep following Jesus. Don't stop believing. Every morning when you wake up, exhort yourself. I do that every morning. I don't know why I've done it for years, but I wake up and I put my feet on the ground and I say, today I'm going to keep believing in Jesus. It may be bad, but I'm going to keep believing in Jesus. No matter what happens in this world, they could persecute me. They could have me to, to, uh, to cut my head off and put me in jail, whatever they want to do to me. And the answer is always the same. Keep following Jesus. I exhort you today, don't turn your back on Jesus. That's what you get here. And it's not just in the preaching. I love that about church. It's, it's in the conversations that we have. It's at the coffee in the back. It's, it's, it's what we do when we get together. It's why I text you. It's why I call you. It's why I come knocking on your door with a dog maybe about to bite me to exhort you to keep following Jesus. How many people do you know that are, that are straying away from God and you have to pull them back and say, don't do it. There's nothing out there for you. How many people just reject it over and over? They reject Jesus, they, they reject the exhortation, and they keep on straying away. There's going to be a warning here. What happens to you if you do? We exhort one another. If I ever get down, and I do, I want you to come alongside me and exhort me. Sometimes your pastor needs to hear, keep believing in Jesus. 
Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Do you understand that the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 is a bunch of men who had trouble and trials and tribulation and struggles and they were sinful and they were bad, but they never took their eyes off Jesus. That's all. That's the only thing that they had in common is they, they kept their faith. Oh, you're going to be persecuted. Oh, you're going to be, have your head cut off. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Christ. It's the key to it all. Don't turn your back on the greatest man who ever lived, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by himself purged our sins, who loved us with an everlasting love. Why would you turn your back on him? The answer is never quit believing. The answer is always keep believing. That's the exhortation. To, to be faithful, to absorb one another. I love this daily. <laughs> you see that? I thought I was going to get done early today. I guess wrong. Exhort one another daily. You know what that means? Stay after each other. Sometimes you just need a text saying, I'm praying for you. Stay faithful. Parents, please, if you're here today, please, exhort your children daily to keep believing in Jesus. I'm daily trying to point my kids to Christ. I know they're young, but as they grow up and they become teenagers, it gets harder because there's distractions, there's friends, there's boyfriends that'll come along, and I do not look forward to that. There's, there, again, there's phones, there's boyfriends, there's athletics, there's all kinds of things that will take my kids' focus off of Christ. And I have to constantly be reminding them, as long as they're in my household, they are within the arm's reach of my shepherd's hook, and I will pull them back. Grace, you got a boyfriend? Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus needs to be your focus, not some boyfriend. My boys, even with their athletics, I love sports so much. But when sports start to take the attention away from Christ, I know that's going to get me in so much trouble. I'll say this, nobody in this church loves sports more than I do, but there's sports is nothing compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are tempted to turn your back on Christ to go dunk a basketball, you need to be pulled back. Parents, constantly exhort your children to keep following Christ. They may not do it. But like Charles Spurgeon said, I may not save everybody from hell, but they'll have to step over my body to go there. My kids may not listen to me, but they're going to have to hear me over and over and over. You may not listen to me today. Some of you are in danger right now turning your back on Christ. Or some of you have already done it. Your body may be here, just like those in, the, in Israel in the wilderness. They were out of Egypt, but their hearts were still in Egypt. And some of you are in church, but your hearts are still in the world. You can be in church and still turn your back on Christ. And you may not listen to me, but you're going to have to sit through my sermons on it. Or leave. Because <laughs> I'm not going to stop exhorting you to follow Christ. How about this? Parents, exhort your children. Spouse, husband, keep exhorting your wife. Wife, keep exhorting your husband. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. There's nothing in the world worth turning your back on Christ for. 
your job. I'll tell you this, your job is not greater than Jesus. The mo- all the money in the world is not worth turning your back on Jesus. We set all these things up. You say, well, they're turning to Judaism. We have all kinds of temptations to turn to. Oh, I'm not turning my back. I'll just spend a whole lot more time on that than I do him. I exhort you today. And he says to do this every day, today. Because there are people in this room right now who are in danger of turning their back on Christ. There may be somebody sitting in the pew with you right now who is already halfway turned. And you know what they need to hear? Keep believing in Jesus. And why do we do that? Because it's dangerous if you don't. If you turn your back on Jesus, we'll get to a second, it's dangerous. Let me show you one more. Because the exhortation was to be faithful, and now it's to finish. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. That's verse 13. And then verse 14, it says, For we are made partakers of Christ. I love that. We truly, it says, for we are made partakers. That means we truly believe. We, we belong to him. We have true saving faith. And then it says this word, and I circled it in red. It's not in black. I took a red ink pen, and I circled that word, if. You are a partaker of Christ. You are a true believer in Christ, if. And the answer to that is, whatever's after that word, if, is how you know whether you're saved or not. The, and I know some of y'all are reading it now. Whatever's after that word, if. Because he said, you're, you are a part of Christ, if. You are a true Christian, if. So who is really saved? Are you really saved? All you have to do is look after if. And the answer is if you hold fast, which means you never let go firm. You get this? If your attention is on Christ. Firm. I love that. I'm running out of time. A firm hold is like a firm look. That my focus is on. A tentative to that I never take my focus off of Christ. What's this? If you hold that firm, if you hold on tight from beginning when you started the faith all the way to the end, you know you are truly saved if you finish well. All the way to the end, it says. So it's not how you start the faith, it's how you finish. It's not how Israel started the Exodus, was it? That was glorious. It's how they finished the matter. It's how they finished. And they finished tragically. There's a great many people who are saying today, I made a profession of faith. I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, I got baptized. But right now, my life looks nothing like a Christian life. I do what I want to do. My heart is deceitful. My heart is wicked. My heart is evil. I live however I want to live. And I still claim that they're saved. This says you know you're truly saved if you finish all the way to the end. It's possible to start gloriously, to go off like a rocket, and then to sink like a rock. So be careful. 
Be careful. The answer isn't go back. The answer isn't work harder, be better. The answer is keep your faith in Christ, your eyes on Him the whole time. Never take your eyes off Christ. Focus on Him. Firm, fast, hold all the way to the end. From the day I got saved, belief in Christ. Every day when it gets hard, the temptations come, the trials come. Never turn my back on Christ. Always focusing, always looking to Him. He's the one I'm trusting in. It's His works. It's His, it's His sacrifice on the cross. It's who He is, not who I am. My faith is always in Jesus. And if you do that all the way to the end, you prove yourself to be a true Christian. Don't stop believing. And then verse, this whole story, but we can look at verse 1, is the or else. You say, what happens to us if we stop believing and turn our back on Christ and go the other way? And I'll say this, there's always a temptation when you start to turn just a little bit, but if you belong to Him, He'll always pull you back. But if you go the other way and you keep on going and you keep on living how you want to live and you turn your back on Christ, you are going to miss out on the promise land. Look what it says in verses 16 through 19. And I'll close. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not see this enter into his rest? With them that believed not. Not enter into his rest. They were entering into the promised land. This is to us about entering into heaven. If you turn your back on Christ, you are in danger of missing out on heaven. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. I'll give you one more verse in verse 1. Let us therefore fear. <laughs> you see that? It's a holy shuddering. We have anxiety about everything. We're terrified and panicking in the world about everything. But the thing that should, should make us shake more than anything else is missing out on heaven. He says, first one, let us fear lest a promise being left for us of entering into His rest that any of you should fall short of. That any of you should miss it. You better walk very carefully. Because if you turn your back on Christ, you might, may, be in danger of falling short of heaven. You should fear, it says. You should, this is, this is, this is, the word fear there is, it's really, it's, it's, it's a shaking. I mean, it, it should concern you. Your soul should concern you. Your eternal destiny should concern you. Where you're going to spend all of eternity should concern you more than anything else in the world. You should not play games with this. God makes a threat, and when God threatens, He always follows through. This is not an empty threat. If you turn your back on Him, you are in danger of missing out on heaven. Of falling short. Of standing before him in like Matthew 7 and saying, but I did, and I did, and I did, and I did. And him saying, depart from me, I never knew you. You denied me, you turned your back on me, 
Now I'll deny you in front of my Father in heaven. You better be careful if this is you. That's the warning. We took a long way to get there, but that's the warning. You better be careful if you're even thinking about it. You better be careful if your eyes have even strayed. You better be careful if your heart is, is deceitful and evil and hardened. You better be careful. We all better be careful. Here's two things. Number one, just a reminder, and I'll close. Jesus is greater than anyone or anything in the world. Fill in the blank. Jesus is greater than. And the blank is there. And anything you can put in that blank, anything you can put in that blank, he's greater than it. There's no comparison. There's nothing close. It's not a contest. It, it, it's, there, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, I, I, the, I love my wife more than anything in the world. She's nothing compared to Jesus. She didn't die on the cross for me. She's not God. She's not going to determine heaven and hell for me. I love her, but Jesus is greater than her. And she would say amen to that. She would say, yes, Jesus is greater than Josh too. And I would say, amen. And then I would say the same thing. I love my children so much. And I tell them all the time. But Jesus is greater than Gracie. And Gracie better say amen to that. Jesus is greater than Isaiah. Jesus is greater than Christian. Jesus is greater than Emma. Jesus is greater than any sport, football, basketball, baseball, whatever you throw there. Jesus is greater than money. He's greater than jobs. He's greater than fame. He's greater than hobbies. Whatever you put there, Jesus is greater. So when you make this choice here today, and you will, it'll be every day you make this choice, who am I going to live for? You better choose Jesus. He's greater. You better not turn your back on him. There's nothing worth going back to. He's greater. So I urge you today, as it is today, it says there that three times, today, 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 do it today. Believe in Jesus today. It may be your last chance. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Look to Jesus today if you're lost. Look to Jesus today if you're an unbeliever. Put your faith in him. To gain Christ is to gain it all. And if you're here today and you're already saved, this is my exhortation to you. Keep believing. I'm going to say this. We should all be at the altar today. And I say that a lot. Begging God to help us keep believing. Keep me faithful to the end, God. Keep my eyes on Him. You know that? That is what I want for myself. And I wake up every morning saying, keep my, keep my eyes on you. I don't want straight. And then I love keep keep my wife's eyes on you, God, please. Don't let her straight. I mean, it, it, it would break my heart if my wife straight. God, let my children keep their eyes on you. 
I have two out of four kids that have made professions of faith and I pray it over them every single morning. As I walk out of my house, I have my hands on my kids and sometimes I wake them up and they get so mad at me. But I, I pray for them and I, I sit there and I say, God, I, I know they've put their faith in you, but let their faith stay in you, please. It would, it would destroy me if my kids started straying. Keep their faith in you. And I got two other kids that's not made professions of faith. God, help them to put their faith in you and to always have their faith in you. Not to look to dad, not to look to celebrity or athletes, not to look anywhere else, but to look to you, Father. And do you know this? That I pray for you every day. I don't know if you know that. I'm not up here putting on a show. You know that. It's not pretty. I pray for you every day. God, don't let them stray. Please. Let them be faithful. Please. Please. I know they have a hard time. I know life is hard. I know marriage is hard. I know kids are straying. I know money is tight. I know America is bad. I get it. God, don't let them stray. Let them keep their eyes on you. Please. With tears down my face, God, please let this church stay faithful. And I see you miss church, and I see you turn away, and I see you go to the world, and I say, God, please bring them back, please. They're in danger. We need to be on our faces today saying, help us. May you care about your soul as much as I do, if not more. Please keep us faithful. What are we going to do when persecution comes to America? And they're threatening us the way they were these Christians. Are we going to scatter? Or are we going to gather and say, God, help us to be faithful no matter what they do to us. To keep our eyes on you. So may we all here today keep our eyes on God. And what a powerful message that was. Now, joining with me in the studio today is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, let me ask you this. What application can we as Christians take away from this warning from the book of Hebrews about unbelief? Well, the warning here is directed straight at the heart. Uh, he's talking here about the heart of unbelief. He's talking about having a hard heart. He's, ha he's talking about having a heart of rebellion. And, and he says there very clearly that we need to take heed or see to it that we don't develop that. that. That's not something that happens to us. And it can happen to us. We can develop a hard heart. So we need to be on guard from that. And he talks about doing it daily. And we need to guard ourselves on a continuous basis in, in our Christian walk. And how do we do that? We do that by, as we t hear his voice, it says that we harden not our hearts, that as we listen to his commands that as he we study his word and he tells us what to do that we don't repeatedly disobey him and rebel against him and that's how you develop a hard heart that when god tells you to do something you don't do it and it hardens your heart a little bit and the next day it's a, you harden your heart again the next time harden heart again so on a daily basis we need to be guarding our hearts so that we are continuing obeying what god's word tells us to do Thanks. And again, that's Pastor Josh Tompkins from West End Baptist Church. And we want to remind our listeners that we love hearing from you. So if you have biblical questions that you'd like to have them answered, please send them to us by logging on to our website at www.westendbsg.org and leave them there. Also search our website for a complete list of our outreach ministries and church services. And be sure to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at West End Baptist Church. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.